and you just broke even on day one, what about year one, year 10, year 20, et cetera? So we ran the numbers. And what we found is even starting at age 62, doing a series of Roth IRA conversions, um, just 23 years later, you're better off by a million dollars. And if you live longer, you're, you're better off by well more than a million dollars. And then if you go to the next generation, they're better off by even more. Um, and by the way, that's, like I said, that is most likely to happen. So again, the, the numbers are just huge on how much better off a well-timed and the appropriate amount of Roth IRA conversions um, are appropriate. So I also said, okay, what about inflation? All right, should inflation in and of itself, let's forget about this, the specific areas of inflation, um, which by the way are important, should a Roth IRA, should you, should you be more prone to make a Roth or less prone to make a Roth? And the answer is, at least in the abstract, it shouldn't make any difference whether there's inflation or not. And again, I haven't seen anybody uh, see this, but if you remember in the last example, I had $100,000 in an IRA and I had $24,000 in after-tax, all right? Let's assume that we're measuring and purchasing power and we have a 20% inflation, maybe over two years. So the $24,000 is reduced to 19,200, the 100,000 is reduced to 80,000. And guess what? We end up with a tie after day one, just like we did without taking into inflation into account. So the point is in and of itself, I, don't, I, I haven't seen anybody write about this. In and of itself, inflation shouldn't be a reason to convert or not to convert. On the other hand, inflation doesn't occur uniformly or in isolation. Uh, your tax brackets, like the tax brackets for 2023, are lower than the tax brackets for 2022. So if looking at just that factor, that might be a reason not to convert or to convert less. On the other hand, if you are um, on Medicare Part B, the, the limits are going to go up, which means that it would be good to get some tax-free money before the limits go up and you have to pay a higher Medicare Part B. So what that means is, and under, under these two examples, is that it's often better um, to actually look at the exact area of inflation, which goes back to one of our classic answers. The question is when and how much to convert, which is of course, like any attorney will tell you, uh, it depends, but that's actually um, mathematically true. Before I go into the next area um, and some of the advanced things, um, as you might expect, uh, I didn't want to disappoint you for anybody who was interested in the possibility of working with me. And I'm going to um, actually repeat and go into uh, greater detail about the Retire Secure consultation at the end. But we do keep an order of, of, of when people responded. Um, we're, by the way, anticipating a huge influx of work 
uh, in January. Um, so it, it really does make a difference of, of when you get in. And the other thing is, if we're gonna be doing some work for Roth IRA conversions before year end, we don't have all that much bandwidth or all that much time. So if you know, hey, yeah, I, I wanna talk to this guy, um, you might wanna cut in line and sign up now. I'm gonna ask Brian to put the link to sign up for that retire secure consultation. And if, and if you know that you wanna talk with me and the discussion typically is going to be uh, me and one of our number crunching CPAs, because if we do do business, I want them to hear everything. Um, you, you should click the offer in the chat and schedule your consultation. Again, we're gonna to try to get as many in as we can before year end. Uh, by the way, we have a very high turnout today and um, partly because I didn't feel like giving Mark Zuckerberg any more money, um, we, didn't, we didn't advertise on Facebook or Google or anybody else, but we still had 288 people uh, sign up. So, and I, I don't know how many people were gonna ask for consultations, but probably a lot uh, and getting in line could, could really be the difference between getting some good advice before your end or after your end. So you might wanna do that now. Um, it is uh, uh, an hour with me and one of the number crunchers. And we have, let's say two basics or two real choices, um, three if you wanna call the premium service, but let's do the two basic, which is assets under management. Um, and there is a million dollar minimum for that. And then some people say, hey, Jim, I like uh, managing my own money, but I love the idea of a complete master plan where you do the Roth, you do the spending, you do all the projections for me and my kids, you look at our estate plan, you look at our wills, you look at our trusts, you make recommendations. And, and by the way, we typically spend between fifteen dollars and $20,000 of time just to do that. Uh, we have... Um, so those are the two basic things. We will not be doing those much longer. Frankly, it's a better model for us to do assets under management because we like working with the same people year after year. But if you and, and we do have a million dollar minimum. But if you have a million dollars that you are interested in having managed and getting all our, let's say, number crunching and the estate planning, et cetera, you might want to sign up. Uh, we do, again, million dollar minimum. And the, um, and the financial master plan, um, it, we're not gonna do it for less than 12,500. Now, if you have like $20 million or something like that, the high end on that is probably gonna be about 20,000. Or if you have something that's particularly, uh, let's say difficult or time consuming, but usually 12, five, 15,000 is let's say a closer relevant range. And again, um, I, we're anticipating a lot of signups today. We haven't had one of these webinars for a while, and we're going to go into some of the advanced techniques. So if you want to sign up, um, I, I'm, I'm not following the chat, but I hope Brian has uh, put the form where you uh, do sign up on the chat. Okay, um, now might be a good time for a few more questions, and then we will move on. Do we have any more questions, Erica? Yes, we absolutely do. Uh, we have a bunch more questions, actually. 
Um, and this one, actually, I think probably uh, we can provide a really fulsome answer or you'll be able to provide a more fulsome answer by giving them a reference link. But I still think it's an important question. And it's one of the first questions that we got this morning. Ajay asked, for the disabled beneficiary exemption to the SECURE Act 10-year stretch, what specifically needs to be done by a client to qualify their disabled child ahead of time? Is receiving SSDI sufficient? Um, well, and by the way, this is new, um, but it used to be qualifying for SSDI or SSI, Social Security uh, Income or Social Security Disability Insurance, was something between the Social Security Department and you. And then there was a different qualification for the IRS um, to meet the exception to the SECURE Act. And then it, they, and I, it, then they actually, in the proposed regs, they said, hey, look, Social Security says you are disabled for, and you are collecting SSI or SSDI, and that that um, status has not changed after you die, we, the IRS, will accept what Social Security Administration and um, has determined. I can't tell you how important that is if you have a child that has a disability to get that child qualified for SSI or SSDI. Uh, we've actually put together a team, um, Deborah McFadden, who was one of the authors of the uh, Disability Act of 1990. She was kind of like the disability czar appointed by uh, President H.W. Bush. And she is, if not the top, I think the top, but certainly one of the top people in helping you get your child qualified for SSI or SSDI. I wish I had known about her and known about her expertise because when my wife and I went through it, it was a huge, huge time suck. And we barely won, even though I thought we had a fabulous case. So getting qualified for SSI or SSDI, whether you wanna do it on your own, whether you wanna hire somebody like Debbie McFadden, um, and again, those resources are at disabledchildplanning.com. By the way, that website is under construction, so we don't have the latest and greatest information on it right now. We should in about a week or two, but that is absolutely critical. So I would say the first thing to do is to make sure that you get your child qualified for SSI or SSDI. And here's what I will tell you um, as a personal matter. Our daughter, who in many ways is so charming and is bright and, and you know she can do advanced physics problems and my wife and I have to team up against her when we play boggle and we still lose. So in many ways, she's so bright and qualified, but she, she would never have the patience and the attention span to do all the work that would be necessary for her to qualify for SSI or SSDI. So that was left mainly to my wife to do. And she put in the hours, she got the proof, she got the um, the written testimonials, not testimonials, the written um, 
reports from the appropriate physicians, et cetera, et cetera. And you really want to do that while you're alive. One of the reasons is to get that stretch. The other reason is because if you qualify for SSI or SSDI, there's a lot of benefits for that child while you're still kicking. Benefits like college tuition, um, not just the, let's say, ten dollars or $15,000 a month, a, a year, but things like college tuition, graduate school, vacation, vocational um, rehab situations. It's really critical that you do get your um, child qualified for SSI or SSDI. I could go on for hours and hours, but I, I will not. Instead, I will take one more question and then we will move to some of the more advanced uh, concepts. So why don't we do one more, okay? Okay. Oh, okay, wonderful. Um, I have a bunch of questions here. And so I hate to, uh, to you know, not pick any you know, specific one, but there's one here that I think uh, is one that you like to answer that actually also comes up a lot because it's a question that is on a lot of people's minds when they're thinking about potentially making Roth conversions, especially potentially making significant sized Roth conversions or conversions of large amounts of money. Um, and this question comes from Kat and Kat asks, I understand this is a challenge to predict, but what future decisions by Congress could make it disadvantageous to do a Roth IRA conversion? Those rascals in Washington, they promised that we were never going to have to pay taxes on our social security. And guess what? Those lying rascals were now taxed on our social security. So even though they promised that we weren't going to pay tax, we're paying tax. On the other hand, we didn't have to pay tax up front. Could we actually be in worse shape by making a Roth conversion if they do the same thing, if they lie again and say, oh, by the way, remember it used to be tax-free? We changed our minds. We're going to start um, including Roth income as taxable. In which case, if they did that, you could theoretically be worse off. And if you made a big conversion, maybe much worse off. Here's why I don't think that that is gonna happen and why I don't think it is something that you should be worrying about. It is part of the internal revenue code that a Roth IRA conversion will be income tax-free and no minimum required distributions for you, your spouse in 10 years, or if you meet an exception longer, all right? That is part of the code. Can they change the code? Of course, they can say no more Roths. They can say, um, we, we're gonna limit the amount of Roth. Whatever changes they can make, and they probably will do something, they can't retroactively say the money that you have in your Roth is now going to be subject to income tax because that would be a violation of due process. It's the legal word for it is an ex post facto law, a law that was made after the fact, which is, again, violation of due process, violation of the Constitution, not to mention you would have a very well-funded revolution. So... I think realistically, if you're, if you're concerned about 
what is the future impact of future laws on Roth conversions. I think the odds of tax increases, and not just the Tax Cut and Jobs Act of 2017, that's gonna come in 2026, but, and again, I'm not gonna try to be an economist, but if you, but if you look at the mountain of debt that we have accumulated, I don't see how taxes can't go up in the long run. If you have built this tax-free shelter, if you will, um, in the Roth, then you will be protected from some of those future tax increases. So why don't we take one more and then I will get into some of the advanced strategies. Okay, great. Um, you caught me off guard. I thought, okay, that's the closing question. I did say two, and then I just decided to do one more. Okay. But that, I mean, it's great. We have a lot of questions, so it's good to get as many as we can in here. Um, the next question is, uh, this. the next question is from Ricky. Um, and I think that... It, you may your answer to this might be a bit brief, but you might want to use your lawyerly privilege to take any question and answer any other one. But she said, going back to the market timing thought, do you recommend waiting to do Roth conversions until later in the year if you are awaiting a potential bear market? If if you think that we're going, let's say we're heading into a bear market, and you think in the year two thousand twenty three that we're gonna have a bear market. Um, and you think that the lowest dip is gonna be in June, 2023. Well, then you might wanna wait until 2023. And the other thing is a lot of people sometimes will bet an effect against whoever, whichever party is in power. So uh, typically Democrats for Republican wins, they go, oh my goodness, you know, the country's going to go to hell. Um, the it's just going to be miserable. The stock market's going to go way down. I better put my money in bonds and I better hold off on a Roth conversion. And guess what? Over the long run, the economy does okay. Or if you're a Republican or if you're a Democrat and wait, I forget which way I went. But anyway, people tend to bet against the party that they are not. And typically the economy in the long run does fine. So I have a very good friend who is a active money manager. We tend to use passive. And his theory when uh, President Trump was running against um, uh, Clinton, um, Hillary Clinton was, well, if Hillary wins, the market's gonna go ho-hum, ho-hum, and isn't gonna go up or down much either way. But if Trump wins, oh my God, people, you know, this is the whole thing is gonna be a big mess. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna take all my clients and I'm gonna put them in cash. And if Trump wins and the market goes down 20%, they'll be in cash. And then after it goes down, then I'll put them in. Well, what happens? The market goes way up. So we are not in the, in the business of predicting timing or things like that. If you genuinely believe that the market's going to go up or down, um, you might take that into consideration for your Roth conversions. We sometimes do it more based on tax bracket and timing 
And my big reason for maybe wanting to do a Roth conversion before year ends might be because the best strategy might be multiple years of Roth conversions. And the sooner you start, the better. All right. So why don't I move on into some of the more advanced concepts? Now, one of the things in the example that I gave before, I talked about the example was I happened to have the money to pay the taxes on the Roth conversion for money outside of the IRA or the retirement plan. Not everybody does that. So for example, I have a lot of clients who are very IRA heavy. And I, you know, it's kind of a running joke that sometimes our clients have a paid off house, $2 million in an IRA and uh, two Toyotas. Then somebody says, no, I have a Toyota and a Honda. But the, the thing that a lot of clients that I have in common is that they don't necessarily have the money to pay the taxes on the conversion, or maybe they need that money for their, uh, for their own cash flow needs. So it, it almost always works better mathematically if you have the money to pay the taxes on the conversion for money outside your IRA, even if, and we've, we analyze this in detail, even if that money, uh, to, to get that money to pay the tax on the conversion, you're going to have to cash it in and pay some capital gains on it. It's not quite as valuable if you have, let's call it plain old after-tax dollars that aren't appreciated, but we, we, let, we far prefer to pay taxes on the conversion with money from outside of the IRA. But what if you don't have any? Um, the other thing is, are you headed for higher taxes? Um, are you headed for a big minimum required distribution? Are you, you know, we're all headed for the tax increase that we think is going to come in 2026. Uh, what about your RMDs and your social security? Are you going to be in a higher tax bracket later, which is a consideration to be more aggressive with Roth conversions? Again, um, child with a disability, uh, our daughter is going to be $1.9 million better off because of two, two main, three main factors. One, she did qualify for SSI or SSDI. Two, we did do some serious Roth conversions, which she'll be able to spread out over her lifetime, where most kids would just be for 10 years. And that, that is one of my messages to parents with a child with a disability to not only get them qualified for SSI and SSDI, but also to do a serious Roth IRA conversions. The third component, by the way, just to complete the loop, is to get the estate planning right. Um, but what if you don't have the money? Well, there, we actually did a radio show um, where if you don't have the money to do the Roth conversion, does it make sense to pay the tax? Foundation 